0: This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the word disturbance. And the people in Thessaloniki, where Paul and Silas were at the time, there's a verse there. Verse 8 says that um, the people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And that's an interesting word. It's an interesting way to describe how people are responding to the name of Jesus being proclaimed in their temple, the name of Jesus being proclaimed in their cities. And we've, over the past few weeks, we've been considering this statement from Acts 17.6. It's when they are dragging the people out of their house, they're dragging Jason out, and they are shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. This statement was made by the people in the ancient city of Thessaloniki. And so Paul and Silas, they're Christian missionaries, they've been going through all of these towns. They were in Antioch, they were in, um, here in Thessaloniki, they were in Philippi, they were about to go to Berea. All of these places across Greece and Turkey, um, modern day, um, those were where they were planting churches and they were moving from town to town. They didn't stop at that church and say, you know what, this looks nice. I think I'll, I'll just stop here and build a life for myself in this town. Jesus had called them to go, and go they did. People knew what Paul and Silas were all about. They just stepped foot in that town, and people already knew. And so after, uh, through the past few weeks, we've been concentrating on that statement, turning the world upside down. What does that mean? How did we lose our reputation as a church, How do we lose our reputation as people to do those things? And we've been asking a a series of questions. What if people said that about us? What would that mean for our community if people saw hyphen, if people saw the churches in our community? Because this is not just about us. This is about lifting all the boats. This is about bringing all the churches along together and saying, well, what if they said that about the churches in this community? What if people in our community knew us as a group of Christians that were going to turn their world upside down? What if people knew about that in our families? What if we were entering into rooms with our families who didn't believe and then all of a sudden they knew this was our reputation, this is who we are? What if we were so effective in our living for Jesus that things were radically changed just by our presence there? And so we've been sort of unpacking this through the lens of Acts 17, 1 through 9. I'll read that a little bit later, but I want to refresh our memory on these four questions that we've been breaking down. The first question was, are we a threat to turn our world upside down? And because these are vision questions, the answer is no, right now. But vision is all about where we want to go, what we see in the future. And so when we ask a question, are we a threat to turn our world upside down? We start to think now in ways, how can we become a church that is a threat to turn the world upside down? How do we become people that are a threat to change our families? How do we do that? What decisions do we make as a group of people living for Christ and proclaiming his name? Do we have what it takes now? What do we need to get there? And we talked about three things that will make us a threat. Treat nobodies as somebodies, challenge what people think the church is, and completely sell out to see people's lives changed. The second question we asked, are people of our community talking about our impact? The answer is no. No. People don't know us yet. And that's okay. Okay because we don't want them to know us, they want, we want them to know Jesus. And so it's not about hyphen getting big, it's not about us proclaiming hyphen to the community, it's about Jesus getting into the community. Does our community see that we're bringing change? And this was the big question, is our community different because we exist? And we talked about what will lead people to make an impact, and we need to love our community, and Uh, To love our community, we need to find out what God is doing here. And I asked you to talk to people, not to invite them to church. Because remember, invitations to church, that's a hard sell. Asking people to accept Christ as their Savior, that's a hard sell for people nowadays. And to be quite honest, it's hard for us to have those conversations randomly with people. But I gave you some ideas and said... When you go out into the public, when you're at a restaurant, when you're at the, getting your hair done, when you're at uh, the supermarket, um, when you're at your work, ask the question, what do you need the church to do? What can we be doing to serve the community better? What can we be doing to serve you better? That's a question that's really easy to ask, and it's also a question that really opens people up, and it gives you an idea of what they're thinking about what they think about the church. And then all of a sudden, they're like, wait a second. Why does the church want to serve me? I don't go there. Why would they want to do something for me? And all of a sudden, the love of Christ is in their hearts. And all of a sudden, they're starting to think about you and the church in a different way. And notice how you haven't even mentioned Jesus yet. All you've said is, what can the church do for you? And that gets people talking. You will find a way to do that. To love our community, we need to find out what God is doing in the community, and that means talking to people. Question three Are we doing anything that will disturb our community? And this is where we're going to focus today. Are we shaking up those, listen to this, who have no use for Jesus? People that are so far removed from church, from God, who say, Yeah, you know, I was a Christian for a little bit, but you know, I it just, it just didn't feel right to me anymore or I drifted away or I've never really been to church. I'm an atheist. I don't have any use for Jesus or God. We see those people all the time. You know, the people that want to talk about God the most are usually atheists. They're really interested in that. They want to have deep conversations about God. And good, we can do that. We can have those conversations. But are we just having conversations or are you shaking people that are like that? Are we disturbing them? Are we doing anything that causes people to be s- disturbed by our presence? And I'm talking about both ways. I'm talking about physically disturbed, physically terrified, physically trembling because Jesus was spoken and also moved. The deepness has been troubled in their hearts. Are we shaking them to their core? So let's talk about what disturbed means. There are several really good definitions of disturbed, but for our purposes here, the definition we're going to work from means to upset the natural balance of things. If we want to disturb something, we're toppling over the apple cart. In fact, in Greek, what the word traditionally means is to stir up something when the lame man was sitting by the fountain in Acts 5 and Peter comes upon him and he talks about the water being disturbed, the stirring up of the water. That's what we're looking for. Are we changing people's attitudes? Are we changing their outlook on who we are and who Jesus is? Sometimes it means to perplex. But I think my definition, and this is not a, a dictionary definition, because I can just make things up, you know. Here's what I would say. To bring such a radical change that it upsets what was normal before. To change what was normal before. Radical change that creates a new normal for people. We came out of COVID, and what was the phrase that we, we started to hear a lot? This is the new normal. COVID interrupted things. It changed things, some for the better, some for the worse, but we have to live now in a new reality. We probably won't ever shake COVID. It'll always be there at some level. And so now we have to get used to public warnings and health issues and things with you know, how do we gather well now? How do we do this in a way that makes people safe? And we're, we're constantly checking for fevers and coughs and taking tests. And we do those things because that's the new normal. That's the way things look now. And people do that to some degrees. And some people can react to those. And they say, well, the building that I built before toppled over because... I had built a worldview of how things should be and how things look. And COVID came and knocked you over the house. I'm just going to build the house exactly the same way. I'm just going to act like nothing has changed. Or we can embrace that. We embrace that change. Or we bury it in the sand next to the house. Those are the things that we can do with what disturbs us, what changes us ignore it completely, go back and just say, we're just going to build the house the same way. My world gets rocked. The house gets knocked over. I build it up the same way. Or we use that as a piece of the foundation. And we say, now I know this is the way things are. This is how the world functions. And we start to build the house with pieces of that again so that when things happen, The new normal doesn't rock us. So let me read that part in Acts 17 and think about stirring the water. Think about how the waters are getting disturbed in these people's lives. After Paul and Silas passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessaloniki where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Now, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous. And with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests and they're all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor saying that there is another king named Jesus. And the people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this, and after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let him go. The people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. The name of Jesus being proclaimed in their presence. There is another king greater than the king you have. There is another way to do life. This is the Messiah that you deny. And that rocks you to your core. Paul and Silas show up in town and suddenly normal isn't normal anymore. The new normal now for the city is riots. The new normal for the city now is just to haul people off to prison. The new normal now, by the way, the new normal started When the Jews took Jesus in front of the assembly, they said, we can't crucify him. We want you to do it. By the way, he's been saying bad things about uh, Rome. He thinks that he's the emperor. You should deal with him as you do. And now this is the new normal. Because they were working so hard to protect the house that they had built. Because when you build the house, that means you can control it. When you build the house, that means you get to live in it and do whatever you want with it. When you control the house, you have the power. And when someone comes along and says, your house doesn't mean anything. It's empty without Christ as the cornerstone. I'm sorry. You're trying to take that from me. You're trying to take the power. And so their reaction here actually is... Pretty normal for people that want to stay in power, who believe in authority, who believe that, no, the only way that the Messiah comes is if we build the house for him. And Jesus said, you cannot put me in a temple. That mountainside where your people are worshiping now, that's going to be gone. You want a sword? You want a battle? Well, when I come back, that temple will be destroyed. Those sacred cows that you have placed here that you think are so holy, that you think that God needs in order to be proclaimed, they're gone. They're dusted. The only thing that matters is my name. And you can carry my name wherever you go. Boy, that sounds silly though, doesn't it? To people whose whole life had been about building the house to live in it. And we'll just make ourselves feel better. The house is not actually ours, it's God's. So we can build it as big as we want because it belongs to God. But we do need a lot of space for the kids, so that would be nice. These two men, Paul and Silas, by their appearance and message, have radically altered the city. And what did they preach? The name of Jesus over and over and over again. And that was it. I know I've been on this, but we don't need bounce houses, right? We don't need those big things. Paul and Silas didn't carry the cart town to town and say, come see the carnival. Oh, and by the way, since you're here, I'm going to try and get you to believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. The belief in Jesus came first. Here is Jesus. Now let's do all the great and fun and amazing things that happen when you believe in Jesus. Cart before the horse kind of thing, if you want a modern idiom for that. They disturbed the city, the people, and the authorities. It so disturbed them that they were ready to kill Paul and Silas. It rocked everyone to their core, and they didn't need anything but the name of Jesus. And I don't know if you can see this, but when we gather as people, we gather in the name of Jesus and we proclaim Jesus' name throughout the gathering. I've come from churches that don't use Jesus' name, it's just not done. We'll pray a couple times. We'll read the Bible. But the message is going to focus on how to fix you. You have problems and we need to fix them. And when you're fixed, then Jesus is going to look better to you. But I got news for you. Fixed people don't like Jesus. Fixed people aren't running to the gates of heaven To say, please, Jesus, please, I'm so good, I'm perfect, I don't need anything, but wouldn't you just be my friend for a little while in case I need something? Christians have such a skewed vision of who they are and their place in the kingdom. Jesus's message is for people that are broken. Jesus' message, his name works for people that are so far from God. They feel like there's no hope. There's no way that Jesus would ever love them. And that's where we get to step in their lives and we say, Jesus loves you. Not because you've fixed everything, not because you've worked everything out, not because you feel as though you've got it all together in your life. Jesus loves you because you are his child. God has created you and for this moment. And I love you because you are his son or daughter. I don't need to know what you've done in your past, but here is the name of Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus over you. Disturbing a community can be dangerous, it's not for the faint of heart. And boy, our church is filled with the faint of heart. Our communities have not been disturbed by the presence of the church. There is so much segregation between what the church does on Sunday and what the community is living Monday through Saturday. And you think, well, okay, so maybe like if there was a mega church, like if there was a big, huge people would just like flock to it and love that church and that's just not the reality though i've been to small churches i've been to mega churches there's segregation there and then every once in a while they'll serve it's serve week it's love week it's it's generosity week or we're going to go out and paint a fence or we're going to rebuild a roof but don't forget your camera Because did we really do it if we don't have a camera? Now, these things sound cynical. I know they do. I know they do. But I'm trying to cast a picture of the things that Jesus has said and the things that man has come to say. To say that we don't need all of these things. We don't need... God doesn't need a marketing team. He doesn't need advertisements. Paul and Silas were standing in front of these people in Thessaloniki and some people believed and some didn't. And Jesus stood in front of the people on the side of the mountain in Matthew 5 and he said, here it is. This is what I want you to do. And some people believed and some didn't and they wandered away. They wandered away from Jesus who was standing there in front of them and his disciples wandered around in the desert with him for three years and they still were looking at him like, what do you want us to do with this? And so it's the height of arrogance for us to walk into someone's life and say, why don't you believe in Jesus? You see it in my life. You see everything that's going on. Why don't you just believe? It doesn't work that way. And so when we seek alternative methods for trying to win people over, that's when we depart from the truth. Jesus is all we need to say. We speak love and grace and humility into their lives, not some other gospel. Remember, Paul got mad at the people in Philippi because they were teaching another gospel. So disturbing a community can be dangerous. It's not for the faint of heart. Your reputation may disappear. People may look at you differently and you may get to be a part of a God-sized movement that will rock your world forever we might lose friends, we might lose family, but what do we gain when we become people that have disturbed things because of Jesus' name? Jesus disturbed people. We know this. We've read his stories. We know. We know as he wandered. But Jesus didn't set out to disturb. The disturbance was a result of who he was and what he said. So again, this is the difference between just creating a riot, just being a public disturbance, just being a nuisance all around. Because we don't set out to be a disturbance. We set out to proclaim Jesus. And if we proclaim him to the right people and say the things that we need to say to the people that need to hear him, their worlds will be changed. They will be disturbed. Their waters will be stirred up inside of them. Because of Jesus, not because of what we said or did or the services we provided, but because we say, this is Jesus and this is how he lives out his life. And we recognize it in the things that we do. We just don't do these things because we had extra money laying around. We know Paul and Silas disturbed people, but Paul didn't just set out to disturb people. What he said and his determination to get his message out That disturbed people. It wasn't this attitude that he had that, oh, I'm just going to go and knock some heads together. I'm going to thump some people on the head with the Bible. That'll get them straight here. Paul just went in and proclaimed Jesus, and he only had to do it three times before everyone in the city got all agitated. Don't bring that here. We don't want that here. No, no, no. If you want to say something, clear it through us first. And then you'll be able to say it. If we want to turn the world upside down, we're not trying to intentionally disturb people. We're not intentionally trying to disturb them. It's not our goal to disturb people just because we want to or because we can. Remember, Jesus could have called armies. He could have fomented riots in the streets. He could have done those things. His disciples were ready to do those things. Come on, we gotta do this right now. We gotta do this right now. The people need to hear it and we need a sword and we need an army and bring those things. And the devil on the side of that hill in Matthew 4 was ready to give those things to Jesus. Here, why don't you take the nations? Why don't you take the government? You can have all of these things. Jesus says, I don't want them. I don't want them from you. I could take them if I wanted them, but I don't want those things. I want hearts. But it's assured that if we go all in for Jesus, we will disturb our community. A public stand for who Jesus is disturbs people. A group of people united in Jesus disturbs people. People trusting Jesus disturbs people. The exclusivity of Jesus disturbs people. So we have to decide, are we ready? And here's a couple questions I want you to answer in your own hearts, in your own minds. The first question is, are you ready to stand for Jesus? We won't back down from standing for Jesus. We don't have to be combative. We don't have to be the loudest in the room, but we have to be committed. We can speak out on things that disturb us, but we don't want to cause a disturbance in the way that gets people agitated in the wrong way. We want people to be agitated because of who Jesus is not because we disagree with their political stances. We have to live a life for Jesus despite our circumstances. This will disturb people around us. It will disturb people to be loved unconditionally. It will, be, it will disturb people to get invited to places they don't belong. It will disturb people to see you living your life in a way that doesn't make any sense to them. This will disturb people around us. It will put us in uncomfortable positions, but we need to stand humbly, but firmly in our commitment to Jesus. So are you ready to stand for Jesus? Here's the second one. Are you ready to stand united for Jesus? We have to be united in our stand for Jesus. We will not agree on everything. And I don't want us to, because the body is stronger when we can communicate and we can have a conversation We don't seek out people that think like us. Well, some people do. Those are called cults, by the way. We don't want to do that. The kingdom of God, by the way, is gonna look like a strange place. On that day when Jesus comes and resurrects the dead and we're there and we're getting judged and those people are welcomed into the kingdom, I can't believe those people would be welcomed into the kingdom. They don't agree with what I think and say. How are those people getting into the kingdom? We need to be united, but we can still disagree. Disagreements do not hurt families, and we can't let them hurt families. I know in your own families there are disagreements, And if they're allowed to fester, if they don't open communication, we get angry and we get bitter and we allow them to sever ties. In churches, we don't do that. Again, there are some churches that allow that. But in order for us to be united, we need to be working for the same goal, which is to proclaim Jesus. A group of people united for a cause will disturb people. There will be attempts to undo the unity. We have to protect Our unity. The unity of the group has to be more important than individual desires. And when we come in and we say, well, you know what, this is the way I want to build the house, that's saying to people, I want control and I want power and I want to do things my way. We don't do that. Because as a church, we're called to be united in our beliefs, but we will disagree. Here's the third question. Are you ready to fully and completely trust Jesus? Because we have to fully and completely trust him. There will be things that happen on the outside beyond our comprehension. At times, we will even look foolish in our faith. We will do all we can to lead other people to fully and completely trusting Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do here, right? Or we go to people and we say, we want you to fully and completely trust Jesus. And then we're kind of halfway in ourselves. I just don't buy the message from you. I just, I just don't get it. You don't look like you're changed that much. And the church is full of people who aren't changed that much. If we want to be disturbing to other people, we have to be disturbed ourselves. I know I'm disturbed. We have to be stirred in our inside. The passion of Christ lives in us. We can't expect to stir others if we are not stirred ourselves. Are we ready to trust everything to Jesus? People willing to trust everything to Jesus disturbs people. I want to be in control of my money. I want to be in control of my job. I want to be in control of my health. I want to be controlled. Fill in the blank. And it disturbs people when I say, give it to God. We do have some responsibilities, but you know what? I can't control these things. Only God can. People who are leading others to a real relationship with Jesus disturb people. We will be tempted to change or modify our calling to see people come to Jesus. We will be tempted to take matters into our own hands. We will lose our trust in Jesus for anything and we lose our positive influence in the community when we water it down. I promise you this hyphen will never water down the gospel. We will never water down who Jesus is and what Jesus means to the community what he means, not just to the community, but to individual people. And the last question, are you ready to hold up Jesus alone? We have to always hold up Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We have to stand by the statement that Jesus makes in John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. That takes a lot of wrestling with. Well, surely he can't mean that. There's got to be another way. Try it. See if it works for you. Because it won't. We have to be lovingly, but unwaveringly, lifting Jesus up as the sole way to God. Being exclusive disturbs people. If we compromise on Jesus as the only way, we are no longer a Christian church. We believe that Jesus is the only way, then that should be our catalyst to push us out into our community.